So the title of my message this morning is, is Taking John With Us. This is the, the closing message in our Gospel of John series that we've been on for well over a year. And it is uh, bit, bittersweet. And uh, I've been closing the Gospel of John for about six months now. <laughs> because it's just been so rich. And it only got richer and richer and richer as, as we went along. Um, at least in, in, in my experience understanding of it. And so... But we are closing out our Gospel of John series today so we can start our Holy Spirit series next week. And, and I wanted to try in this message to try to give us a tool that we can use to take the Gospel of John with us, in a sense. Something that we can walk away with today that will help us continue to make use of this incredible gift of God in this Gospel. Let me try to explain a little bit with an illustration. My son, John Christopher has this big book, and I think it's a big book of bugs and nature and science and sea creatures and stuff. And it's, it's all real life crazy creatures. And he, my, John Christopher loves science. And, and, and this book is cool in that it lets him be an explorer. He, it has these, this like magnifying glass type seeing tool. Like it's, it's just a little film or a little piece of clear plastic that when you look at the book, you see things through that that you can't see without it. So if you're not looking at the book with the little seeing tool, you don't really see anything. It's murky and dark. What's on the page is hitting from your eyes. But when you look through the little seeing tool, the little piece of transparent film, it and you hover it over the page, it just opens up this stuff that you see. You see ants and bees and sea creatures, and you can kind of make sense of it all. And, and that's what I'm hoping that today will... We'll, kind of be like that that you'll be able to take some time with me to think through a truth from john that's so central to the whole gospel that we've studied that this truth becomes for you in the future a seeing tool about john a a tool that we can use so that whenever we look at this book any part of it we might take out the tool and say you know i see this better i know where john is going i know what god's trying to do i know why this is here and that's what i'd like us to leave with at least and really, more than that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm hoping that this, this seeing tool truth in itself, it will, it will feed us. So that whether we're in John or not, we'll be able to see this truth fundamentally and comprehensively enough today and, and onward that, that even if we're not looking at a passage in John, we can walk out today with a sense of having understood God more deeply and, and treasured him more, more passionately. Um, no matter where we go from here. So the seeing tool is really a verse. It's a, it's a, it's not even a full verse. It's a piece of, of John 20 verse 13 to be exact. So I'm going to ask Rebecca to put that up there and we'll say it together. If you guys can read that. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's say that one more time. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this is what most people think is the purpose verse of the entire book of John. And it's smack dab right in the, in the centrifuge of Thomas going from an unbeliever to a believer struggling with unbelief to becoming a believer when he says, my Lord, and my God. And, and, and if you remember, Jesus said to Thomas, you believe because you see. But blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. 
And so John is taking that moment between Jesus and Thomas, and he's saying, absolutely. That's why I wrote this whole book. So that anyone who opens this book, who does not see Jesus in the flesh, who can't put their fingers in his side and, and, and find his wounds, that they can see the written words in this book and by the power of the Holy Spirit, though you can't walk on the earth with Jesus, you too can move from unbelieving to believing and be saved and say with Thomas, my Lord and my God. So let's take this verse and let's use it as that little seeing tool and, and run it across various passages over John and hopefully you'll see, wow, this is a really good explainer of this book one one theologian said if you if you expounded this little passage you're really expounding the whole gospel of john you can really take it over anywhere and and you can see and understand what john is doing so these are written so that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name let's pray briefly and ask for god's help going forward Lord, no speaker can speak nourishment and food into anyone's heart such that their heart grows from feeding and seeing you better. It's not in any man's power to do that but it is in your power. And you commanded us to have your word preached, to have your word studied reverently. And you promised your spirit would help us understand it and use it to transform us. And so God, knowing that you are eager to help us, knowing that Jesus covers our sins, so that we can come and ask you without condemnation, with boldness. Help us, Lord. Help me, by your grace, be used to speak clearly and honorably concerning your word. And help my brothers and sisters, by your grace, find nourishment today. Lord. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. In his name we pray, amen. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These things, it refers to all the, the things that John wrote about, the life and work in Jesus. And John is saying, all this writing I've done, it has a purpose. And if you miss this purpose, if you find the Gospel of John to be fascinating and stimulating, if you find Jesus to be compelling and wise and good, if you miss this, you miss the whole point and you are doomed. I wrote this, says John, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing that, you would have life in his name. So let's take this in, in two big chunks, belief and life. That's kind of how I see this. They work together, but, but we can look at them each apart and then, and then see how they work together more profitably. So first, let's look at believe. That you may believe. What does John want us to believe? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
taking that little seeing tool of this passage, let's, let's, let's move it over the first chapter of John. We see from the very beginning of John, the apostles told us belief in Jesus Christ was the fundamental factor of eternal life. It is the hinge on which the door of life or death, eternal life or eternal death swings. We see that very clearly early in John and maybe the most famous verse in, in the universe, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Our seeing tool moved over John 3.16 confirms that again, our belief in Jesus has, our belief has a specific target. It's Jesus Christ and believing that he's the son of God, that he is that person that the gospel writer says he is. He's to be believed in. He's to be trusted. He's to, he's to be depended on. And it is that specific person, Jesus Christ, and seeing him that way as the son of God, the Messiah, that brings life. And without seeing that person that way, Jesus Christ, as the son of God, you do not have life. You live in condemnation. It's binary, right? Binary code. A lot of computer people in this room. It's one or zero. If you believe you have life, believe what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And all of that entails concerning your sins and his salvation. And if you do not believe that, you stand condemned. This is the audacity of God, right? I mean... This is not an easy thing to talk about outside of evangelical Christianity almost. And, and in some quarters, it's not even really a, an easy thing to talk about there. But, but the Bible has the audacity to proclaim that God has the authority and the right as God to say to humans who have rebelled against him, this is the way. It's this way, not this way, not this way. It's this way. There is no other way. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God in whom you must believe, upon whom you must place your trust. It's not Muhammad. It's not Islam. It is not Abraham or the law. It is not ourselves. It is not our self-confidence and our hope that we're just going to be fine and good people. It's not atheistic, naturalistic unbelief that finds its hope in the world. And that is offensive but if we miss that, we are missing all of the gospel of John and its purpose for us. Because our seeing tool tells us that's what this is about. This person is the Christ, the Messiah, promised to the world, to save the world. And so as we move along with our seeing tool, we, we see how this matches up with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And she says, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, looks her right in the eye. And he says, I who speak to you am he. I, 
I'm just affected by that right now. I mean, I just, by God's grace, I feel the glory of that. That he would just look this woman in the eye. She'd say, I'm, I'm looking for the Messiah. How many people around us are looking for a Messiah? At work, at Starbucks. Oh, that Jesus would say through us to them that Jesus would say through our testimony in our life. I who speak to you am he. That's why John wrote his book. His words, by God's grace, have the power to do that to people. John has a strong evangelistic bent. Jesus is the answer to thousands of years of prophecies about this person called the Messiah, the anointed, the Christ, made to Israel before he came. Some of these prophecies even the Samaritan woman knew about. Promises that we can now treasure as assurances because Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament and what it says about who the Christ was to be, the place of his birth, the very time of his coming. I know Donna's Bible study on Daniel talked about that just this week. That in Daniel 9, you actually get a timetable of years before the Messiah comes. The Old Testament tells us about the sacrificial nature of his mission as a suffering servant. And the everlasting dominion of his kingdom as the king of all kings. And our seeing tool tells us that's it. That's what we're to believe. He is the son of God. And John, the whole gospel of John makes much of the divinity of Jesus as God's son. And John 1, 1, from eternity past, he's the word. He's with God. He is God. In John 5, he's the supreme object of the father's love and delight. And he sees and does only and all of what the father does. And he is entrusted as the Christ and the son of God with all authority over all humanity. So that he judges and gives life and he can, he condemns on the final day. He is the divine son of the father. In John 10 30, he is so close to his father that they are one and the same. But John, in trying to get us to, to, to believe this thing, he isn't just asking us to simply acknowledge facts about Jesus. We keep moving our seeing tool to try to understand what belief means. We see that it's, it's a trust. It's a dependence. It's a turning from our helplessness to his saving mercy. It's a turning from our sin to his power to save us from our sin. In John 9, we come to Jesus with the blind man in the temple in our helplessness. That's the category. Like the blind man in the temple there, spiritually, we are blinded by the darkness of our sin. And like the Pharisees condemn that poor man, our accuser, the devil, stands before God saying about us, you were born in utter sin. Be cast out. And then we experienced exactly spiritually what this man experienced when Jesus cures his blindness and shows himself to the man. John 9, Jesus heard that, the, that they had cast him out. And he goes back for him. And he finds him. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. 
And it is he who is speaking to you. Oh, brothers and sisters, the Messiah has come. He's come for us. And he said, the blind man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Listen, this man was blind. He had no power to make himself see, to make himself whole. He simply depended on Jesus. John is telling us that belief is is not simply knowing facts about Jesus, not simply being convicted that those facts are true, but personally depending on those facts, depending on that man, Jesus Christ. And so it is with us. We have no power to save ourselves. We have no power to heal our lives. We simply bring our sin and our lostness to Jesus. And in his compassion, he says, I will heal you. Be clean. This Friday, I went to Frederick Rescue Mission. You know, all the... Well, I won't go into the background of it, but I just went to spend the morning and the afternoon over there to try to learn more about it uh, for our care groups and for potential ministry in our church. I just... Some of the ladies in our church went to Faith House and rocked it and had an awesome time learning about that, and I'm still trying to catch up with all that they learned. And I wanted to go to Frederick Rescue Mission because I've, I've never stepped foot in the place. And I just thought, man... I, I need to, I just felt burdened. I need to go and learn. And, and I spent the day with Terry Quietek, who, who you, many of you guys know her. And she introduced me to Norm. Some of you guys might recognize Norm from Facebook. Um, he had a little Facebook bio from FRM that they publicized about his changed life. And, and I got to spend lunch with Norm and talk to him. And it was the most interesting interaction because Norm was saved in a moment. He didn't care about God. He didn't want God. But suddenly, he believed. And he saw who Jesus Christ was. And his life was completely turned around. He was, he would tell you, I hope we can get Norm here. I'm trying to get Norm here, actually, to come and tell you his testimony. He would tell you, I, I was a drunk, right? I was a complete drunk. And, and he was so not drunk when I was talking to him. He was the most sane, calm, together guy. It was awesome. And he still lives in a tent. He doesn't care. He's just feasting on whatever church he can go to, whenever he can go to. And he's growing in the grace and knowledge of God. And I'm sitting there with Norm, and there's another guy. I won't say his name. But Norm and the other guy are, are starting to quarrel. And just to beat to the end, Norm gets up and, and leaves before it gets heated. But the quarrel was about salvation. And, and one guy was saying, with bloodshot eyes and a strong whiff of, of whiskey, and a little bit of a slurred tongue. <laughs> he was saying, we have to save ourselves. And, and that's the, that's the, you can't tell me that you're going to go to heaven if you die today, Norm. We have to save ourselves. We have to do this. We, Jesus can help us, but we got to do it. And Norm is saying, no, we can't save ourselves. We can't do it. Jesus has to do it. And I just thought of the irony. <laughs> you know, there's one guy who's, Who's just really chained. And, and, and he's saying, we have to save ourselves. And here's Norm, who's completely set free. Saying, no, 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 no. We can't save ourselves. He can save us. In, in essence, it wasn't an academic debate. It, it was a debate of two living examples. Of one man being set free, saying, God can set us free. And another man being chained, saying, essentially, no, he can't. 
And, and it just, you know, as I, as I talked about, as I looked over this passage today, I just thought, this is it. This is, this is it. This is why we're, we're a gospel-centered community. This is why our first value among our seven values is being a gospel-centered church. Because this is where salvation is. This is where hope is. It's in no other name. It's in Jesus Christ. From the day you got saved until the day you, you lay your head on a pillow and go see him face to face. He is our only hope, folks. He is our only hope. And he's the only thing we have to offer this world. And may God give us grace to, to offer him to this world. But that's belief. That's faith. Louis Burkhoff described it in three ways. Fact, knowing about Jesus. Assent, assenting to those facts that Jesus is who he said he would. And trust, dependence, depending on Jesus personally for all that he is for us in salvation. And we keep moving our seeing lens. That's what happens in John 21, right? Right, right before this verse. What happens to Thomas? Does he say, you are God and Lord? No, no, no. He says, my God and my Lord. So if you're here today and you think Jesus is the Christ, I just want to ask you, are you depending on him personally? Have you put your trust in him personally? Not he must be Messiah, he must be, he must be God the Son. Is he your only hope? Are you putting all of your proverbial eggs alone in his basket? And if you know men and women out there who would say, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God, but they would say, but I gotta pull myself up by my own bootstraps and, and I gotta make this work and I'm a good guy, I think I'll be fine. Pray for strength. To help them see, to lovingly and gently point them to what the truth is and to what it isn't. So moving on from the, the, the seeing tool on belief, let's go to the second part of the verse. So that believing, oh Lord, it is so late. <laughs> God help me. Oh, okay. So that believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. So what's this belief result in? It results in life. We are dead. We are spiritually dead to God. Dead to true hope. Dead to real power over our sin. Dead in our sins because we are under the judgment for our sins and we are cut off from God. But now through believing that Jesus is who he says he is and trusting him as our Savior from our sin, we have life. But it's not just life, the kind of life we have right now. It's, I mean, we breathe, we eat, we, some of us grow taller, some of us grow shorter depending on bone compression. But we, right, we, we have that kind of life. No, this is life, John says, in his name. It's life that's marked by who he is and what he has done. It's life marked by Jesus. It's a life that is, in a spiritual sense, like his life. Indeed, it is his very life united to our life, making us alive with new life and bringing us into God's own family because that's what he is. He's in God's own family. He's God's own son. So when we get united to God's own son, we get to be part of God's family. He becomes our father. 
And we see this from the very beginning of John when he says in the first chapter, moving our seeing tool over to this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is therefore a life by which God sees you as his child and you see him as a father. And because you're united with the life of Jesus Christ, here's what your new life is like. Here's what it is like. It's a life that loves what Jesus loves because you're united with Jesus. It's a life that loves what is holy and pure as Jesus loves what is holy and pure. It's a life that hates sin and selfishness and fights them because the son hates sin and selfishness and fights against them. So all the, the reason why you hate your sin, the reason why you fight against your sin, the reason why your sin hurts your heart, it's because that's what it, that Jesus hates it. He fights it. It hurts his heart and you're united with him. There's a wonderful quote by Charles Spurgeon about the battle against sin. And he says this, dear friends, there are no conflicts in dead men. There are no conflicts in dead men. There would be no warfare between faith and unbelief if you were not on the Lord's side. If our whole being remained in its natural death, there would be no inward fighting. But inasmuch as there are two minds within you, depend on it. One of those minds is the mind of God. This inward conflict should not cause you to doubt, but rather lead you to cling more tenaciously to your conviction that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of man and women. Jesus says in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. And and you'll be so intertwined with me, he says, that in that day you will know that I am in the Father. And you are in me. And I am in you. It's as if Jesus' life is so close to ours that there's no language to really like explain it. It's beyond intimate. We are in him. He is in us. He is in his father and we're in him and his father. We're not Jesus, but we're so close to him. It's almost impossible to separate our life from his. The only phrase I could think of to try to explain this, it sounded a little bit hallmarky, but I'm completely going to go for it because we're having our Valentine's dinner in February. It's beautiful. It is an eternal, it is an eternal Embrace. It is a hug that never ends. Sometimes I pick up my boy and he is so happy to see me and he hugs me and kisses me. And sometimes I pick him up after I've, you know, maybe I've given him a spanking and I just hug him and he's crying and he might be even a little mad at me. I don't care. I just got to hug him and hold him. I don't care, you know, which way he's going emotionally. I just want to hug him and hold him, right? Because I love him. Yes, we can damage our fellowship with God. We can damage our friendship and have to repair it. But we don't change this union with Christ that we have. It is an eternal hug. It is an eternal embrace. And we have this new life mixed in and at war with these leftover elements of our old life, right? We have sin still hanging around until we get resurrected. We're not done with it yet. But we should not be 
surprised, perpetually discouraged by this. Our old life will tell us that we don't belong to Jesus and it will condemn us. Our old life will tell us that sin is better than Jesus and tempt us away. Our old life will tell us that sin is too great for us and discourage us from even fighting. But since none of that is true about Jesus, why in the world would we give heed to that? If his life is intertwined with us, if greater is he that is in me than he, than who is in the world, why would I tell sin it can beat me? Why would I tell sin it can condemn me? Why would I tell sin it's better than Jesus? That is from the pit, man. That's from the devil. It's the bottom line. Greater is he who lives in me than he who lives in the world. Man, I experienced it so, for me, so powerfully in the last 24 hours. I'm not going to go into what and who. But, and this, again, I love entertainment. I love movies and I love sports. And there was a particular game on in the last 24 hours And I was working on this message, and it's been a pretty thick week, and I had a lot to do for this message. And and I just was so tempted to just spend time watching this game instead of working on this message. I I mean, it doesn't sound like I'm robbing a bank, but the principle's the same. I was tempted to steal from God and take from what belongs to him and you and my family and give it to myself selfishly. That's the principle that transcends bank robbing and watching a game, right? And I was just like, there, there's no way I can beat this. I just love this game. I love this, these athletes. I just want to watch it so bad. And I just said, and, and, I, and I felt condemned, like, dang it, I wish I was stronger. And all I did was I just kept pleading his promise. You know, I just said, God... You're either being honest with me or you're not. Greater is he who is in Albert than he who is in the world. Look, it's either true or it's not. God, when you say, I'm faithful, I'm not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. I'm going to provide a way out. You're either going to be, you're either telling me the truth or you're you're not. Who am I to tell you you're a liar? I just said, Lord, I need your help. And as I kept saying that, and I kept reminding myself of that verse, He's going to provide a way out of temptation. It was just like, it just, what was impossible became completely possible. And I just said, and, and God led me to do something that I don't do every day in my battle. I just said, Lord, I'm going to make a commitment to you. I'm not vowing. I don't want to suffer the vow thing. But I'm going to commit to you if we can do one of those middle ground things between, you know, I'm just not going to watch this for an hour. And then I'll take a 10 minute break or something and I'll watch a little bit of it. And then I won't watch. And as I did that, I just, I just was lifted up and I walked with him into what he called me to. And I was, I just, it was awesome. And I said to Jen, I didn't get overcome. And it was just, oh, thanks. Okay. Thank you, Melody. And everybody else clapping. And those who aren't clapping, I know it wasn't bank robbery. And you're like, it wasn't bank robbery. It's okay. So listen, when we struggle, we we have two basic options apart from Christ when we struggle with sin. We can trust in ourselves, we can gut it out, we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? That's option one. And that always leads to these other possibilities, which is one, 
pride, where, where we think we've succeeded and we get all boasty and we get judgmental of others, or the other option under option one, which is trusting ourselves, is that we get hopeless and we despair and we, we give up and we start building up currency and giving ground over to sin and we begin to learn old habits again. They become entrenched. That's, that's one option. The other option is just to give up and give in. To just go straight for the exit and begin to give up ground and move away from Christ step by step. Begin to cover up ourselves and, and, and damage and deny the new life that we really have in Christ. Those are the two big options. To trust in ourselves or to give up and give in. Those aren't the options that John, the gospel, seeing tool gives us. It gives us this option. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and experience life in his name. And that's shorthand for believe all that he is to you. Believe all his promises. So when you don't have salvation, believe in him that he can save you from hell. And you're going there without him and flee to him and depend on him for salvation. But after you're saved and you're an old man and you're working on a sermon and you've got, you've got an incredible ball game on that you're dying to watch... And it's going to be complete sin if you do that because you're stealing. You go to him and you say, I'm going to believe in your name. In your name comes this deal where you give me power and you provide a way out. And I get out of this trap. And as I believe in that, I experience his life doing that in me. As I give myself to that promise. And so to drive deeper into Jesus is to do what John 20, 31 is telling us to do, is to believe on him and experience his life, whether you're getting saved for the first time or whether you're 45 years old. It's to believe in his promises and to hold on to them and to experience his life through them in the appropriate way for our situation. That's why it's so important to know the word of God well, to know his promises well, because that's primarily where he shows up with power is through his written word. What did our verse start with? Look at that. These are what? Written. That's not very fancy. That's not very miraculous. And I want dreams and visions. What do you mean? Just like written words? No. God says these are written. I wrote this Bible down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. You mean I got to hold on to your written words? It's not as romantic as like. All kinds of other concepts we can have. Emptying our brains. and not, not, Listen we're going to a Holy Spirit series. We're going to talk more about experiencing God. Than, than only the word. But it's, it's always connected conforming to the word. Brothers and sisters. It's not as though once we have life in Jesus. We no longer need Jesus. We all know that. But do you know right now today that the way to cling to Jesus, the way to walk with Jesus is the way of believing and holding on to his promises, hearing his warnings, believing in them, depending on them just as you did at the first to be saved. Now, the shape of our faith, the target of our faith, it's different depending on we're in a marriage dispute, we're, we're at work. We, like I said, that's why we want to understand his word better and better. But I, I just encourage you and challenge you, church. 
Know him through his word. Hold on to his promises. Believe what he says. Fight to hold on to his promises and to see and experience his deliverance in your lives. There's other things that, that help that. There's prayer. There's worship. But that's what we've got to be doing. We've got to be believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And all that that means, his specific promises for our lives, his specific warnings and encouragements. And, and by holding on to that truth, his spirit works power in us. We experience his life. And if you're, you're here today for the first time, I just want to ask you to consider We're finishing up the Gospel of John today. But I want to tell you, the Gospel of John was written for you. It was written with you in mind. You who don't know if Jesus is who he said he was. God wrote the Gospel of John for people who don't know if Jesus is who he said he is. He said, I wrote these things. When you read them, by God's grace... His spirit would help you open your eyes and you would believe these things. You'd have a life in his name. And if you've got brothers and sisters, co-workers, cousins, neighbors, oh Lord, I do. John wrote this gospel for them that they would read it and by the spirit's power come to believe that it's true and be saved from hell. Be saved from condemnation. And have life in Jesus' name. God's not tricking us. This is how he wants to work. Right? Let's pray. Lord, give us strength. Give us power to hold on to your word. To believe you. To believe who Jesus is for us. And to experience his power. And Lord, please give us courage. And give us humility. To say, Lord, if if you're committed to work through your written word. That you wrote this book so that people would believe. And that only happens through your Holy Spirit's power. Who are we to not give that a shot? With our friends and neighbors and co-workers. Give us humility to say, here's the gospel of John. You want to read it with me? You want to read it by yourself? It's a pathway that God works through, that he says in his own word he's, he's ready to work through. 